Hey everyone, this is Jamie Austin, pastor of Woodlake Church. Thank you so much for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Woodlake, head on over to woodlake.church and enjoy this message. Hey, good morning, Woodlake family. So glad you're with us this day, everybody watching online. Now listen, this is July 4th weekend. Thankful to be in this country where we get to worship, amen, and freedom. Uh, Listen, there are people all across this world that even just possessing a Bible could mean their life. You support missionaries, by the way, that we can't even tell you about because they're in countries that if it was known they were believers, their lives would be in jeopardy. Aren't you thankful to be in this country, amen? And if you're guests with us today, man, I'm so glad you're here. My wife, Jen, and I, Jen's right here. Jen, not Jen and I, that's not a name, but my wife, Jen, is right here. And uh, we have the opportunity to pastor this amazing church family. So if you're a guest with us today, you're just a part of the family. Give all of our guests a huge round of applause, okay? Jen and I will be at the northeast doors after the service. If we have not had the chance to connect with you, please stop by out there. We would love to just shake your hand and, and welcome you. Uh, we got to meet some people that had been coming for six months and they just our paths had never crossed. So this is a church family and we want you to feel that. Is that okay? Okay. If you're new with us, we are in week three of a series that we've entitled The Seven Seas. We've had a cool pirate theme. I hope you've enjoyed it, all the kids, that sort of thing. But really what we've been doing is slicing off pieces of Revelation chapter 2 where Jesus addresses, confronts the seven churches of Asia Minor. I want you to go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 2 today because that's where we're going to be. Now, if you're guests with us, you're like, summer series, book of Revelation, for real, of all the books in the Bible. Uh, Let me put you at ease. The Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is all about Jesus. Jesus didn't just show up in the Gospels, but he was there in Genesis all the way through. So if you, when you approach Scripture, do it knowing that it's all about Christ. It will all make sense. Now, you may be one of those people that says, you know what? I've stayed away from the book of Revelation. There's all these signs. There's all this. And does it tell the future? You're right. In Scripture, they call the book of Revelation apocalyptic literature. In the original language, apocalypsis simply means this. It means a revealing a revealing. Jesus in the book of Revelation reveals, everybody say reveals, what is and what is to come. Now, if you've been coming for the last couple of weeks, I've heard this over and over again. You're like, it is as if these these letters, these addresses that Jesus is sending to these churches is for the church today. You're absolutely right. The Bible only gets more relevant. Can I have an amen? And that's the cool part about this. If you were here the first week, in fact, let me just set it up for you. The book of Revelation, right from the beginning. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, it tells us who gave the book of Revelation. It is none other than Jesus himself. Everybody say, yay, Jesus. Okay? If you, if you move on in there, it, it tells who it went to. And it was a guy by the name of John. Many believe it was John the disciple. There's a school of thought that it was a different John. But John, either way, because he was declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Roman government was absolutely tired of him. They said, no more, you get a timeout. And they exiled him to the island of Patmos to get rid of him. And scripture says this, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Aren't you thankful to be people of the spirit? 
And if you read in there, it is, at, it, it is as if Jesus pulls back the curtain on time and space and reveals to John what is and what is to come. And right off the bat, Jesus says, John, I need you to write some things down on a scroll to the, to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Write them down. Now, it's an open letter. So the letter was to be circulated around. So what Jesus said to one church could be read by another church and vice versa. Every church could read the other church's mail. You ever been in church and felt like somebody read your mail? Yeah? But there's a reason for it. What one church was going to deal with at some point in time, another church was going to deal with. I think that's a good lesson for us today. Woodlake is not the only game in town, folks. We are part of the church, the body of Christ. What makes up a church? A church is a gathering of people that, that stand on and declare the whole counsel of God's word. And we all have a purpose. So, so Jesus, some of his addresses to these churches is, is confrontational. Others, it's encouraging. Uh, this morning is going to be both. <laughs> Amen. Um, and we're going to be, uh, first week we looked at the church at Ephesus. Ephesus had grown cold in their walk with the Lord. And, and Jesus says to them, he says, repent, return, and do the things you did at first. When we grow cold in our walk with the Lord, we need to get back to the fundamentals. Can I have an amen? Last week we looked at the church at Smyrna and they were going, under, going through some intense persecution and Jesus encourages them, stay strong, stay strong. Don't you believe we live in a day and an age where the church needs to stand strong? Okay. Now, before we dive any more into the book of Revelation, some of you are like, are you sure really the book of Revelation? It is full of signs, it is apocalyptic literature, but don't get so hung up on the signs that you miss the Savior. It's all about Jesus. So this week we're going to jump to the next church, and depending on your version of, of the scriptures, it's the, it's the church at Pergamum or Pergamos. Again, it depends on what uh, passage you uh, are, or, what, or what version that you have there. So we've been in this pirate theme, right? Historians tell us that Port Royal, Jamaica, began as a... A, a, a pirate holdout or a pirate city. It was known for alcohol and prostitution and, and all the things you think maybe a, a pirate city would have. It was lawless. In the 1600s, a tidal wave comes and wipes out the city, many of the structures. Many believe that it was a tidal wave sent by God himself. In fact, Port Royal was known as the Sodom, remember Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Sodom of the modern world. It was the seat of Satan. You say, why are we talking about this today? Well, that is what Pergamum or Pergamos was known as. The seat of Satan. Seat of Satan. It was not an irreligious city. In fact, it had a lot of religions Historians tell us that there were temples to Greek and Roman gods. In fact, let's just pause there for just a moment. I don't believe there's any such thing as atheism out there. I believe our society is pantheism. We have tons of gods. Uh, let's just keep it real. The world bows to anything. Can I have an amen? 
But not only that, there was also temples, in fact, three temples dedicated to, and, and here's this theme that's been in the last couple of churches as well that we looked at, to imperial worship. Once again, there was this literal worship of the government. Last week, if you were here, we looked at Smyrna, and we talked about Domitian, the, the Roman emperor of that time, was the first to demand worship to himself and to be called Lord, capital L, right? So again, there's this imperial worship, and, and what's the message to the church today? We've got to understand this, that the government is not our answer. So stop getting rattled when the person you voted for didn't get elected. It's like we think God is up there going, <gasps> are you with me? Our citizenship of heaven should trump everything else. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> when it just, Eric, you know what I'm talking about? Forget I said that. <laughs> but maybe it should. I don't know. No, and let me just say this here today. I, I think we need to be real careful to understand it doesn't matter who's in the White House or who's in the mayor's office. Jesus is on the throne. Can I have an amen? And he is the one that deserves our worship and adoration. Alone. Everybody say alone. Revelation chapter 2 says this, to the angel of the church at Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. This is Jesus identifying himself, okay? These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. Verse 13, I know where you live, <laughs> where Satan has his throne, Yet you remain true to my name. The reason why he said that is because of all of the gods. There was particularly a temple to Zeus there as well. The, uh, the God of gods and, and Jesus says, nah, 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 that's where Satan sits. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Now, before we go any further, let me say this. Do you realize that all of these letters that Jesus is, or John is writing down from Jesus himself is addressed to people who claim to be Christians, to the church? So before we sit here and say amen too loud, Jesus is not talking to sinners. Jesus is talking to believers. Jesus is talking to people who probably are on the church, uh, church pew, church seat every Sunday. Are you with me here today? Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Remember that from the church at Ephesus. Then Jesus says this, repent therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword, there it is again, of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Now, let me tell you how the message is going to go today. As we slice off pieces of of this Revelation chapter 2, it's going to start out, again, very direct. But I promise you, by the end, you're going to leave here shouting. Can we have an amen? So your pastor, is his tone this morning 
if, if you, <laughs> someone said, Pastor, you're really intense. Folks, I, I'm intense when I eat a ribeye steak. That's just who I am. But I don't want you to mistake my, my directness over the last few weeks, even today, or my intensity for, for anger or, or, or a condescending talk. I want you to interpret it as a pastor who dearly loves this congregation and that Jesus loves you more than I do. And if I give you anything other than the word of God, I fail you. Are y'all with me here today? If I leave anything out, I fail you and I don't love you. But the fact is I do love you. But it's not going to feel like it at the beginning. Are y'all with me? But I promise you're going to leave here shouting. Cool? Okay. So, again, Jesus is addressing not sinners, not people on the outside. He's addressing church people. And he comes and says, I am the one with the double-edged sword. Later on in that passage, he, he, he says this, I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anywhere in Scripture where you see Jesus in reference to a sword, the sword is emblematic of his word. The Bible. Okay, this church believes the Bible, both the Old and the New Testament, is the infallible authoritative rule of faith and conduct. Amen. You get nothing other than the Bible. But the word is paramount this morning. Because ultimately what Jesus says to this church is simply this. What side of the word are you on? He says uh, the word out of my mouth is a, is a two-edged sword. Most historians believe it was some type of a broad sword that was that was sharp on both sides, meaning this, it could cut going in and it would cut going out. It didn't matter where the sword entered, it would divide things. It would split them up. And what Jesus was saying, there are some among you. Again, he's talking to the church and he says, I am the one with the sword. I am the one who, 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 who decides. I am the one who, who's going to make the dividing uh, of, of, of really who follows me and who doesn't. Abraham Lincoln was asked during the Civil War. I'm going to put this up because I've had four cups of coffee and somebody could get a haircut this morning. Um, Abraham Lincoln was asked during the Civil War by, by a newspaper reporter. He said... Do you hope that God is on our side, Mr. President? And the president was quoted as this. Sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. The city had all forms of religion. In fact, in this particular city, there was a medical school. People could go there to be trained in, the, in, in medicine and, and, and that sort of thing. In fact, there was a temple there dedicated to a particular god who was known as a god of healing. The sign of this god was a snake. It gets even crazier. 
this temple, if you needed to be healed, people would flock to Pergamum and they could spend the night in this temple. And in this temple, scholars tell us they would release snakes. And you could lay on the ground at night, spend the night in the temple, and it was thought that if one of these snakes glided over you, that was the touch of God and you could be healed. Now, I don't know about you, but if a snake glided over my foot in the middle of the night, if I survived the heart attack... You would at least have to change the sheets. Can I have an amen right there? (laughs) But isn't that crazy? That's crazy. But we live in a world that's lost its ever-loving mind, and they're making it up as they go. Just watch the nightly news. That's exactly what they were doing. So what's Jesus saying to this church? We're going to take just about three things that I believe Jesus wants us to get out of this. Number one, he's challenging them, remain loyal to me. Remain loyal. It's going to be easy to be thrown off track. It's going to become easier not to live for the Lord. And that's exactly where they were at. And Jesus said, just remain loyal. He says this to the angel of the church in Pergamum. Right, these are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. Again, we talked about the word. What is the word? The word is The sword is the word that comes out of his mouth. The sword is the word of God. Can I just tell you something? The the word of God is still a sword. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. For the word of God is alive and active. It cuts sharper than any, here we go, two-edged sword. It cuts straight to a place where our soul and spirit meet. And it divides the bone. Everybody say divide. It divides the bone even unto the marrow. How many of you believe that the word of God is powerful? Amen? Let's pause here and have a teaching moment. If you're with us today, you probably noticed that during worship and also at the end of service, even in our prayer service on Wednesday night, which was powerful last Wednesday night, you need to be here, 6.30 Wednesday nights. I'm telling you, God is doing some, we got a, already got a report of some healings from last, uh, last Wednesday night. Be here, God's moving. But our prayer partners in any service, when you come forward with a need, Whether you need a healing, you need a breakthrough in your marriage, you need wisdom, you need peace, our prayer partners are going to pray the Bible over your situation. God's Word. Why? Because the Word of God is alive and active, cutting sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting straight to a place where our soul and spirit meet, and dividing the bone even into the marrow. Everybody say, alive and active. The Word of God is alive and active. You don't have to tell it what to do. You just let it do its thing. Come on, somebody. Where did the Word come from? It came from Christ himself. He said, I'm the one. He identifies himself. I am the one with the the two-edged sword. It's me. It's not the person you voted for. It's not the person on social media. It's not a celebrity. It's not a politician. It is Jesus alone. And and, and he says this. He says, my word is going to be the dividing line. He goes on to say, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. And, and, And I love this. He mentions Antipas. He said, you didn't waver. You didn't renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas. You want to be encouraged? Listen to this. You know what history says about Antipas? Not much. 
if you scour commentaries, you'll probably find there is this hypothesis that he might have been a church leader, possibly a bishop, but there's not much written about him at all. But in those days, he stood his ground, and it cost him his life. And guess who noticed? Jesus. I want to encourage you here today. Some of you are fighting the good fight in your family, and you're the only one standing. Some of you are fighting the good fight in your office, and you're the only one standing. Maybe you're a student here today. You're the only one saying, I'm going to stand strong for the Lord, and you think, I'm a nothing. I'm a nobody. Nobody notices. Can I tell you something? The creator of heaven and earth notices. Jesus comes back and says, this nobody matters. Even in the days of Antipas, my servant, that history barely records anything. It's amazing when we get to heaven how many people are going to be just these, these we're going to be known as these, these, these strong pillars of faith, and they were nobodies. Jesus notices. Jesus notices. He notices what we go through. G.K. Chesterton said it this way, all men matter, you matter, I matter. It's the hardest thing in theology to believe. Here's the next thing Jesus would have us get. He, he would say this, remain loyal to my word, his word. He says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Let's, that's a real thick statement. We're going to unpack it here in just a moment. Uh, I, yet I have this against you. Um, whenever my dad, growing up, needed to have a talk with me, let me tell you how it went. He would come home, he would say, let's go for a ride. We would get either in his 80, 80s model Tornado, if you don't know what a Tornado is, just think of the Titanic on wheels, <laughs> or we would get in our conversion van with the with the mini blinds rattling in the background. That's right. And we would listen to the radio. Or we had a cassette tape. Remember those? Of the band Alabama. <laughs> Rolling down a backwoods. Tennessee byway. Now listen, I'm not going to continue that song because some of you know where it goes. But listen to me. We'd be listening to it just, for just long enough, I would get to enjoy it, thinking everything was fine, and Dad would just reach over and turn down the radio. He was really good at this dramatic pause thing. I knew something was coming, and all I could hear in the back of my head, or the back of my ears, were the mini blinds. I knew we finna have a talk. So in my mind, I'm scrambling. Okay, what, what, what have I done? <laughs> Take your pick, right? No. Um, ultimately, what you see right here is Jesus simply turning down the radio, saying it's time to talk. I have this against you. 
And he goes on to say this, you have those that hold to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin. They ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Now, now listen, what Jesus is referring to is an event that happened in the book of Numbers. We'll, uh, Numbers chapter 22 through 24, uh, we won't unpack that here today. But right here, this teaching uh, it becomes... Um, it becomes a prototype of false teachers. He says, you have those who are holding to the teachings of, that are false, and they're holding on to teachers that are false. And he says, let me tell you what's taking place. You're eating food, being sacrificed to idols. You probably, if you've studied the New Testament, you see that issue pop up from time to time, especially in the church at Corinth. If you remember, if you've studied this, in Corinth, you had a church that was made up of, of people who have just come to Christ, and you made up to uh, coming out of total godlessness and, and, and sin, and you got um, other people who've come from the faith. And in those days, there was idol worship. And part of the idol worship, they would sacrifice, and then they would eat the meat. And ultimately, Paul challenged the Corinthian believers. He's saying, hey, you know what? We know those idols are nothing, and you know we know it's just a barbecue, and you just want some good brisket. But at the end of the day, that meat has been sacrificed to an idol. And if someone whose faith is weaker sees you eating that meat, and it causes them to doubt their conscience because they've been saved from that idol worship, they've come out of that lifestyle, and it damages them... Don't eat the brisket. Also, the idol worship in those days, in many respects, now listen to this, involved sexual activity. So in essence, you could go to a temple and there would be temple prostitutes. And, and history tells us that you could have any type of sex you wanted and it was your act of worship. Paul dealt with this in the Corinthian church, and Jesus comes back and deals with it in this church. Now, let me just tell you something. If the Bible mentions it once, you better pay attention. But if it comes around again, it's, a, it's going to be something that keeps being a problem. So what do you have? You have believers, believers still still participating in idol worship and excusing it away. Either with eating of meat that have been sacrificed to idols or sexual immorality. Jesus calls it out right there. He says, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. And whoever tells you that it's right, they're wrong. They're a false teacher. In fact, in those days, historians and scholars tell us that if your idea of sexual purity lined up with the Bible, which is sex between one man and one woman within the bounds of marriage. Will you let your pastor say that one more time? That way there's no question where we both stand on this issue. The Bible's idea of sexual purity is one man, one woman within the bonds of marriage. And historians and scholars tell us this, that if you held to that, you were thought strange in the city of Pergamos. Now listen to me. If you stood up in your office today and declared God's standard of sexual purity, you'd get looked at like you're strange, won't you? If your child stands up in class and they're teaching sex education and they say the Bible says this, they're going to be looked at as strange. Oh, isn't it amazing how pertinent and relevant the word of God is today? Jesus says, I have this against you. 
It's one thing when Paul says it. It's another thing when Jesus says it. Amen? Well, Jamie, I, I just don't agree with God's word. I, I'm just not feeling it. And listen, if that's you here today, you might be in the majority. In fact, one poll released recently said 52% of those who claim to be a Christian. Now, that may not mean born again. It may they check the box, my faith is Christianity. 52% do not believe the Bible is the word of God. That's scary, isn't it? Verse 15, likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. If you remember, the church at Ephesus had this same issue. The Nicolaitans were a religious sect that had a little bit of Christianity, a little bit of Judaism, a little bit of imperial governmental worship, and anything else that made them feel good. Some commentators say this, if anything in their faith offended them, they just removed it and replaced it with something else. And Jesus says, I hate those practices. Now let your pastor preach for just a moment, okay? Here's the reality, church. We cannot mix and match the word of God. Ultimately, the Nicolaitans were Jesus plus. And if it offended him, it was Jesus minus. Y'all tracking with me here today? There is no such thing as Jesus plus. It is Jesus, 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 Jesus. That's why the Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church this. He says, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. There's no Jesus and. It's his word. It's his opinion. And that's it. But Jamie, I'm just not feeling it. Listen to me. No matter how much we pout, no matter how much we post, God will not change his mind. Listen to me. You don't want a God who changes his mind. Amen? Amen? But Jamie, I, I, but, I, but I, I really want this. Well, if it goes against God's word, it's wrong. It's sin. Well, Jamie, I really want that. I, but I really like this person. You know, you know, you know, uh, you know if, if it goes against the word of God, it is sin. And God will not give an inch. Amen? Amen. No matter how much we pout, no matter how much we post. And so what, what does Jesus say? He says this, repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Again, the sword is my word. The sword is the dividing line right there. What side of the word are we going to be on? He says, repent. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that in the original language. The word repent literally means this, change your mind. And return. Why is that so important? Let me, let me tell you why. Uh, well, well, Jamie, I just don't believe the Bible's idea of sexual purity is right. Change your mind. That's what Jesus' answer is. Jamie, I just, uh, I don't, I know the Bible says abortion is wrong, but I just don't agree with it. Change your mind. Change your mind. 
Well, Jamie, I don't agree with this. I don't agree with that. What does God's word says? The two-edged sword. If not, we're going to fight against. And maybe you're here today and you're frustrated in the church and you're bouncing from church to church to church because you keep hearing messages that hurt your feelings. The, we should be cut every once in a while by the word of God. Amen? Amen. There's dividing. Can I just tell you something? You will wear yourself out bouncing from church to church. Oh, you can find a church that won't give you the truth. But the moment you stop feeling the cut of God's word, we're in trouble. Repent. Change your mind. In the book of Malachi, God says this, I, the Lord your God, I do not change. In fact, read it with me. I, the Lord do not change. Say it with me. I, the Lord, do not change. Uh, We live in a world that has watered down the word of God and gotten rid of things just like the Nicolaitans. If it offends him and it kicks it out and Jesus says, knock it off. Knock it off. A God who can be manipulated to affirm societal norms is not a God. Someone said it this way, God made man in his own image, and the problem is man returned the favor. Here's the last thing. Now, we've been intense, haven't we? Okay, I'm ready to encourage you. Are you ready? Everything in God's word is good, even the parts that don't feel so good. But your pastor is about to preach himself happy right now. And if I'm the only one that gets blessed, I don't even care. Just watch me get blessed. Because what I'm about to do in these last few verses, absolutely, I've sat here and wept over this. I cannot tell you how many times this week. So are you ready? Just buckle up. Okay, here's the last thing. What Jesus offers is better than anything else. And I'm about to prove it to you. Okay? Why would we want to fight? Why would we want to forsake all that other stuff why would we want to allow the word to cut us and divide us it's because of this right here jesus says whoever has ears let them hear what the spirit says to the churches ultimately that phrase in the original language joe you know this it literally means this hears and responds there's not a there's not a neutral uh uh, stance on this they hear and respond what the spirit says aren't you thankful that the holy spirit of god talks to his people talks to his church amen come to prayer service i'm telling you guys god is moving here we go to the one who is victorious i will give some the hidden manna I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. That is such a thick passage of Scripture. Let's start with the manna. I will give some of the hidden manna. These people in in Pergamos were practicing idol worship and filling their flesh with meat sacrificed to idols and filling their flesh with sexual immorality. Have you ever had an appetite in your flesh you just wish wasn't there? And I'm not talking about a ribeye. I'm talking about sin. Have you ever had something in your life and you kept trying to fill it and every time you filled it you were still hungry? Whether it was an addiction, whether it was in a relationship, it was something and you kept feeding it and feeding it and feeding it and it only left you wanting. Jesus says this, to he who is victorious, I will give you some of the hidden manna. Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. Amen. 
If you're here today and your life has left you wanting and you have filled it with everything else, let me tell you something. Stop filling it with things of this world and fill yourself with Jesus. Amen. Jesus said, I can, ultimately what he's saying, he says, I, I can satisfy you. I can satisfy you. Then he goes on to say this, I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it. In those days, the hearers of this would have understood it to mean a couple of different things. Scholars tell us that in those days to gain entry maybe into a celebration that a white stone would be handed out and that would be your ticket for entry. Does that make sense? Do you realize the moment that you said yes to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, your spirit was handed a white stone? You have entry into eternal life through Jesus Christ. You have entry into grace and mercy that comes only from God. Aren't you thankful for that here today? To the one who is victorious, you have entry. It's emblematic, ultimately, of the marriage supper of the Lamb for you Bible scholars out there. Oh, hallelujah, that our name is written. Amen. And we have entry through Jesus Christ. There is no other way than Jesus. That's why he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and everything else is false. You hear his tone in this message, although it's direct, it turns into a pleading at this moment. I am the one who can give you entry. Amen. To the one who's victorious. They would have also understood it in this meeting. In the judicial system of that day, if a judge wanted to declare an acquittal of a crime, the person was guilty, but the judge wanted to declare an acquittal. The name was written on the stone and ultimately dropped in a clay pot. Let your pastor get blessed for just a moment. Do you remember the day that you came to Christ and you were guilty as sin? And you couldn't blame your mommy or daddy for your excuses or mistakes anymore. You couldn't blame that boyfriend or that ex anymore for your mistakes. You had made the mistakes. You had sinned. You had messed up. And there was that realization, oh, without God, I am guilty here today. And I'm lost and going to hell. But all of a sudden, the, the Holy Spirit made the cross of Christ clear. And you understood that Jesus, he who knew no sin, became my sin, hung on a cross, paid for my mistakes. And then the Apostle Paul says, and whoever calls upon him will be saved. The moment you and I came to Christ by faith, you know what happened to us? We were acquitted. You be encouraged here today. If you have said yes to Christ, you are forgiven and made new, not by anything you could do or muster up, but by Jesus alone. Why would we want anything this world is selling? Why would we want to take anything away from the Word of God? Why would we want to play around with our faith when we have been forgiven and made new? Acquitted. 
And Scripture says a new name. A new name. Some of y'all grew up in church and remember that song, I have a new name written down in glory. And yes, it's mine. One commentary said this about it, that the name was possibly a pet name. Let me say it this way, a name of intimacy. There are things that I call my wife, I will never call you. There are things that my wife calls me that I hope she never tells you. There are things that I call my kids. Why? Because we're, we have an intimate relationship. Do you realize that you and I can have intimacy with the creator of heaven and earth through Jesus Christ? Why in God's name would we buy what this world is selling? Why in God's name would we believe what some celebrity posts on Facebook? Why in God's name would we let whoever's in the White House determine how we live, act, think, or feel? Oh, there is no other way. We have a new name written in glory. Why is that so important? As we were studying for this series uh, the whole pirate thing. Uh, there are famous pirates and pirate nicknames. You've heard them. Blackbeard, Beard, Annie Bonnie, Redbeard. We can go on in the list. There's all these pirate famous n- names. One article noted that the reason why they went with a, with, a, with a nickname is simply this, really, for practical purposes. If the authorities knew their real name, that means they could find out where they were from, and they would ultimately have to pay for it. Their family would pay. Does that make sense? So they would, they would change their name. You say, what does it have to do with me here today? I want you to just think back in your mind before you were a believer for just a moment. Do you remember maybe what your name conjured up in the minds of some people? Go back to high school. What, what did your name mean there? Maybe when you were steeped in addiction, what name, what did your name bring up? Maybe there was a season of your life where you were doing what you wanted to do and your name conjured up. And if we're honest, there was a season in our life when our name was synonymous with just shame, guilt, and failure. Folks, I don't know about you. I needed a new name. In the original language, that new name, I'm about to get so happy. I'm going to kneel down before I jump off the stage. In the original language, that new name literally means this. A new nature. That when you and I came to Christ, we became, oh, I think the Apostle Paul said it. We became a new creation. All things. Why in the world would we buy what this world is selling? Folks, I needed a new name. I needed to be acquitted. 
I needed entry. And the only way is through Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with the Lord, I'm here to tell you that God loves you and there is nothing you can do about it. The Word says that God loved us so much that that He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for our sins. In fact, Scripture says it this way, while we were still sinners, He commanded His love towards us. I love that version. Christ died for us. If you're here today, you say, Jamie, that's me. I need entry into heaven. I need entry into eternal life. I I need a new name. I need to be acquitted here today. You're right, and you need Jesus. And if you're here today, I want to offer him to you. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me today. If that's you, you'd say, Jamie, that's me. I'm not where I need to be with the Lord. I want to invite you to say yes to him. I'm not trying to trick you into joining Woodlake. I'm inviting you into the family of God through Jesus Christ. I'm inviting you to be acquitted of all sin, everything that makes you feel guilty and shameful. I'm inviting you to receive a new nature that can only come through a relationship with Jesus. And if that's you here today, you'd say, Jamie, that's me. I need to be forgiven of my sin. I need to be made right with God through Jesus. On the count of three, would you raise your hand? And if you're watching online, Pastor Dennis is right there ready to pray with you. You let him know you're saying yes to the Lord. But if that's you today, you say, Jamie, that's me. I'm saying yes to the Lord. I'm receiving all of that by faith today. uh, Listen, some of you right now, I feel the Holy Spirit saying you're you're already trying to calculate how life is going to change. Well, that's, that's fine, but Paul guarantees us in the book of Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, he who begins a good work in you will be faithful to carry it on to completion. He begins the work in your life. So if that's you, you say, Jamie, I'm saying yes to Jesus. I'm, I'm leaving here today forgiven of my sins and a child of God through Jesus Christ. On the count of three, would you just raise your hand and we're all going to pray, every one of us. Here we go. One, two, three. That's me. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? You can put them down. Anybody else? Hallelujah. We've had people responding all morning. Amen, amen. If you're watching online, Pastor Dennis is right there. Anybody else? Hold it up. Let me see it for just a moment. I'm saying yes to Jesus. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. If you're new with us, I'm going to invite everyone to pray with us. Woodlake family, you know we do this every week. If you're saying yes to the Lord, just let me be your pastor for just a few more seconds. I want everybody to pray this prayer saying yes to the Lord. Here we go. Everyone say, dear Jesus, you are the Son of God. You died for me, for my sin, in my place. Come into my life, forgive me, and make me new. Folks, I just felt the Holy Spirit move right then. That's that new name, that new nature. Say it again. Say, make me new. And from this day forward, with your help, I'm all yours. In your name I pray. Amen. At Woodlake Church, our passion is to help you connect with God, find your sweet spot in ministry, and grow in your faith. Everyone is welcome at Woodlake. If you've never been to church before in your life, or if you're a lifelong Christian, Woodlake is a place where you can experience real and lasting spiritual growth music is upbeat. The messages are straight from God's word. They're very practical. We also have great programs for infants through 12th grade. I mean, we have something for everyone. Come check us out this weekend. I promise you'll be glad you did.